Lord, we just come to you today uh, welcoming your presence here, Lord. Let your spirit sit in this service, Lord. Sit in this building with our children, with everyone seated here. Lord, we come with open minds, open hearts, uh, ready to hear not a message of man, not a message of a, of a church or leadership, but a message of you. We want to hear your word, your truth, that it sinks deep within each one of us, that what comes forward from this message isn't anything I've prepared, Lord, but it's something you have ready for everyone, and it sits in their hearts and in their souls, Lord. We welcome you here today. Amen. So about 25 years ago, give or take a few, my mom took uh, myself and my two young sisters and piled us in a car on Saturday night and said, hey, I got something special planned for you guys. We're going to head up to Cleveland. I'm a young kid. My two young sisters are all excited. All right, yay, what are we going to do? She's like, oh, we're going to go up and hear this preacher guy. Great, right? Young kids, Saturday night, all right. So we got in the car, we headed up to Cleveland, and it had to be at least 10 miles out from the city. We, we got stopped. Stopped, traffic dead, stopped. Multiple lanes, couldn't move. And we sat there for probably an hour in traffic. And not just in traffic, not moving. And I'm like, what? you know, we're thinking, what are we going to do? Eventually... You know, young kids get fidgety. It's just not happening. It's getting dark. It's getting late. Traffic's not moving. So we kind of maneuvered our way, got off the side of the road. And my mom was all bummed out. We were kind of excited that we didn't have to go. Um, So we got off the road, and we, we headed back. But we were driving back, and I was thinking to myself, like, what in the world would all of these people be doing trying to go on a Saturday night to Cleveland to hear some preacher? Traffic stopped 10 miles out. Like, this is crazy. 25 years later, I'm here standing in front of you today, and I can tell you that I know why all those people wanted to go hear that preacher. He once said, just because the truth is unpopular doesn't mean it shouldn't be proclaimed. That was Billy Graham, right, who we lost and haven't gained this past week. And I look back at it, and Billy Graham for decades had people flocking to hear him speak. And I think the reason is, it wasn't for showmanship or popularity. The reason is, is because somewhere deep down inside of us, not just Christians, all of us in the world, we have a desire for the truth. We have a desire to know the truth. And when somebody proclaims it, we want to hear it. We want to know it. We have that desire. And my message today, it actually comes out of a point of concern And then I feel like we're starting to lose that desire in our world, in our society, maybe even in our churches, lose that desire to know the truth. You know, I I have uh, lots of, between church and work and teaching and, you know, friend circles and family circles, we all have lots of conversations. And I've been noticing over the last couple years this trend that, it's really hard to have a rational conversation with people these days. Everything's opinion, right? It's hard to have a conversation based on the truth. Everybody just wants to throw out an opinion. If you try to go foundationally that the truth, it, the conversation ends pretty quick. Especially if you're online, you're on Facebook, you're on social media, you're on message boards. People just throw things out there. No basis, no foundation. 
And I think the reason is, it's because we just don't know what we believe anymore about big questions of life and love and God, faith. We just don't know what we believe. Now, we know what we believe about some things. If I were to ask people in here or outside about our president or TV shows that are going on, social media trends, a lot of us, myself included, can't hardly keep quiet about those things. But we have opinions. We want to get that out there. We're passionate about those things. But if you were to ask the same question about God, faith, love, life, meaning, purpose, we're pretty quiet. We don't have an answer as easily. We wouldn't have one at all. And I think a reason for that, I've been working, trying to figure this out. I think a reason is, outside of maybe churches, where do you, what's the venue for that? Where do you go to talk about big life things? Where do you go to ask those questions, to have those conversations? I don't think it's out there. At least it's not prevalent. Shameless plug, it's actually one of the reasons I'm really excited about the Alpha program we have at this church. I don't know if you've been in it before, if you've heard about it, you're in it now, or you're thinking about it. I'm really excited about it because it gives an opportunity, not just for us, for Christians, but for people outside to come in and just in a, in a non-threatening environment, ask the questions. What about God? What about life? What about love? What about purpose? This is what I think. I don't know. It gives us a venue to do that, and I think it's so important because there's that deficit out there, and there's no other place to have those discussions. And if we're not discussing it, we start to lose foundation of what we believe. Now, that's, that's what I think. That's my premise, but I kind of wanted to dig into that a little deeper and see if that's really the case. So I did a little experiment over the last month. I, uh, I gathered three questions, big questions. And uh, the questions were, what do you think about good and evil in the world? What do you think about the purpose and meaning of life? And what do you think about faith, God, and religion? And I put together an email, HR Nightmare, at work with six of my coworkers. And I thought about it, I put it in there, and I thought, this is great. And I uh, took a deep breath and just hit send and asked the questions. And I want to share some of the responses with you guys this morning to kind of illustrate this point. I'm going to share responses to the purpose of life and the, what do you think about God, faith, and religion. So here's some of these. Five of the six people, when I asked them the purpose or meaning of life, five of the six came back with one of two answers. They either said, you know what, I don't have an answer because I've never had to think about that. Never thought about it. I just don't know. Or they came back and said, well, I guess, I think the purpose of life is to be happy or find happiness. That, that's our purpose. And I couldn't let that one go, right? It's begging the question. So I said, well, what is happiness? And the response from each of them was, well, I don't know. It's whatever makes you happy. And I said, okay, well, what is that? And they kind of got frustrated. And they said, I don't know. It changes. It just whatever makes you happy. And I said, okay, so your purpose in life is to find something that you're continually chasing and never really know what it is. There's a door open there. We're going to push through a little bit. But then I got one other response. It was unsuspecting. I, I was not prepared for this one from the guy. 
He sent me a kind of a quick, sarcastic remark, but then a day later he came back and said this about the purpose of life. He said, I don't have an answer for this. I don't know why we're here. Maybe at one point in time I gave it thought because I generally wanted to understand. But I don't think it's something we can ever understand. I think maybe people just accept that we don't know our purpose and they just live life doing what they enjoy without much regard for what's to come. He said, I guess it's just better to live in ignorance than to really know. I guess it's just better to live in ignorance than to really know. Better to be ignorant than to know the meaning, the purpose, the reason we're here in living this life. I'm going to come back to that one here at the end. Then I add the responses to God. Um, there were some sarcastic ones. Uh, one guy, the guy who sent that one said, well, I guess if there's a hell, I'm up a creek without a paddle. So that was an open door. Um, then I got this one. I believe in God, but I have a hard time taking anything religious seriously because they all proclaim one thing and rip people apart because of differences. Yeah, that's inward looking, isn't it? I got one that said, I believe in God, but I'm not a great Christian right now in my life. Guys, if somebody says that to you, you take the ball and you run through that doorway. You take the message of Christ right now and sit down and just have that discussion. Then I got two more. And I think these really do epitomize where we're at with what we believe in society. The first one said, I'd like to have faith but I don't. I'd like to believe there's a God. But even if there is, who's to say he's anything like us? The point was, he'd like to believe, but if he's not anything like us, how can I even know him? What's the point? Why try? Then the last one said, I used to believe in God, but I don't believe in anything anymore. If you choose to believe in something, that's fine. Just like if I choose not to believe in anything, that's fine too. Just like I, if I choose not to believe in anything, that's fine too. There's no foundation. We don't know what we believe anymore. So why is that important? Why go through that exercise? Why bring that to you guys? Well, part of it's because I wanted to share that so we could all feel that deficit that we have out there in the world. And part of that's because if there's a deficit in the world, if there's a change in the world, if there's an influence in the world, it comes into the church. It's the same thing here. We have that here too. But the other reason I asked those questions is because I'm trying to find another way, different ways all the time to reach people with the gospel message. I want to talk to people about Christ. And, and this was another way to try to open that door a little bit, to open that door with them. And I think that's what we think about. That's how we do evangelism oftentimes as the church. I think more and more that's what we do. We, like I did here, I set up some questions. I prepared myself. I set the timing, the audience, all these things. And then when everything was just right, I went out and, and tried to reach out to those outside. And that's what we do. We prepare. 
our message. We prepare where we're going. We set up teams. We set up locations. Set up the timing. Set up the trip. And we're going to go take the message when we're ready and prepared out to the unreached. But I have a question for you. In our world today, if you call yourself a Christian, if you're living that Christian life, the light of God should be shining through you. It should be noticeable. And in today's world, if it's noticeable, it's different. You're wearing that banner that says, I'm a Christian. And if that's the case, rather than going out to the outside world, if somebody out there, the unreached, comes to you and says, okay, something's different. So you're a Christian. What do you believe? Do you have an answer for that? If they come and ask you what you believe, what would you tell them? You know, the people I ask those questions to, their answers, you can see, didn't come from a foundation or any source of, you know, universal truth. It just came from what they believed at the time, what they felt, what they thought. And that's great because that's just an opinion. It can change with time and location and society. It can all change. But as Christians, we don't have that luxury. You see, Christianity doesn't operate that way. If you call yourself a Christian, that means something. There's certain truths to being a Christian. There's certain truths that we can't just pick and say, well, I'll believe this today and that tomorrow. Or I'll change that a little bit. We don't get to pick and choose those things. Meaning, saying you're a Christian means certain things. Oftentimes we just say, well, I believe in God and I worship God and, 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 and that's what it is. But there's more to it. And we need to know that. I think A.W. Tozer summarized this well. It should be up on the screen. He said, it's not just enough to say that we've got a mystical or spiritual experience with God without any doctrinal knowledge and that it's sufficient. He says, no, it's not sufficient. We must worship in truth as well as in spirit. And truth can be stated. And when it is stated, it becomes creed. There's truth that we believe as Christians that we can know and we should state. Do you know what you believe? It's a question that 2,000 years ago the church was asking as well. It was really important during the formation of the church. We were in a much different place than we are today. We were being established. We were fleeing, right? We were being persecuted. The church was being persecuted. The church was gathering in communities and, and some formed churches and some unorganized, sometimes just trying to survive. But there were people coming to the church becoming Christians, people wanting to know who this Jesus Christ Savior was. And not every church, not every person could just pull out and say, oh, well, let me get my Bible out and I'll talk to you about that. We didn't have a Bible like this in the early church. In fact, your churches you went to may have just had truth read to, the, or either read to them or it was oral tradition that was handed down, memorized. And it became really important. The church understood early on that with people coming to be baptized, people wanting to become Christians, that we better be able to tell them what that means, what it means to be a Christian, what you believe. And out of that time period, we have a couple doctrines that emerged, and one of the earliest was the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed has remained basically unchanged for the last 2,000 years. And it's done so not because of anything in itself that it stands on, but because it's rooted in the infallible, inerrant Word of God. 
the Apostles' Creed is something that I think a lot of us are familiar with. And the reason is, is because we've come from other backgrounds and other churches. There's thousands of churches across the world through Protestantism, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, that actually recite the Apostles' Creed every Sunday in church services, in Sunday school classes, in adult ministry. We learn it, we recite it, we read it because of what it is, a statement and foundation of what it is to be a Christian. I'm a little bit of a church history buff, and if you, if you were to take the Apostles' Creed and do a survey of church history, you'll see it all over the place. It was there as a foundation for so many of the early church councils and the creeds that came out of it. If you look at confessions within the church, the Roman Catholic Confession, the Heidelberg Confession, the Westminster Confession, they're based on the structure and the tradition that is the Apostles' Creed. If you go to this, we're part of the CMA at this church, Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you go to our website and pull down the statement of faith and hold the Apostles' Creed next to it, you're going to see that it's our statement of faith is built out of that same structure and rich tradition of the Apostles' Creed. It's important, but you need to hear this. It's, I'm not saying that it takes the place of Scripture, okay? It doesn't cover every aspect of our faith. It doesn't have the authority of the Word of God. But what the Apostles' Creed does is attempt to finish that statement, I believe. And it's going to be up here on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. It is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed. It's short. It's simple. Sublimely simple. Beautifully ordered. It provides a summary of those doctrines, those minimal but essential doctrines of what it means to be a Christian. And what it does is, first and foremost, above all things, it establishes the very foundation of our faith, the belief in who God is. It establishes the doctrine of the Trinity, that we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, the creator of everything. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and our one and only Lord and Savior. That we believe in the Holy Spirit, through whom we can have faith in unity with Jesus Christ. It establishes who God is. And then it establishes, it walks through and affirms the historical facts of the gospel. That Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That he lived here, suffered, died, and was buried. It affirms the resurrection. And that he's seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty in that place until the day of judgment. That's the foundation of our faith, who God is, and the message of the gospel. And I think for a lot of us, 
if somebody came and asked us, they said, well, what do you believe as a Christian? We would start here. It's a good idea. We'd start here with the gospel message. We'd start saying, well, I believe in God. We may even be able to talk about the Trinity itself. But then there's these last five points. And I'm not sure that these get brought up as often. I'm not sure we talk about them. I'm not sure we necessarily know them, think about them, have studied them. But they are essential, unique doctrines of the Christian faith. And that's where I want to go with the rest of our time today. The first statement says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Now, a lot of us hear that and we get tripped up because of our backgrounds and understandings. This isn't to be understood as the Roman Catholic Church. This is to be read and understood as one universal, united church. One united, universal body of believers. And it's not something that the church came up with. This is an idea that's rooted in Scripture, that we are supposed to be united. Uh, you can find this all over Scripture, but I picked out Ephesians 4 to illustrate this. In verse 4 to 6, it says, There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are supposed to be one universal, united church, united in a belief of who God is. You heard our elders up here earlier, Mike Stark, and he was talking, and, uh, and Greg, and they were talking about the worship pastor that's coming, and we made an intentional to pray for that other church that he's coming from. Not because we believe in lines of division, but because we believe in this universal body of believers who are all united in Christ. And so, yes, we pray, not just for the folks in this room, for every one of us. That's that universal church. The next statement says, I believe, I affirm the communion of saints. I think this terminology may, may have gotten lost a little bit over the years. What is this communion of saints? It was in the song we just sang, too. The communion of saints is the idea that we have fellowship with other believers. We have fellowship with the other believers and saints before us, here with us now and in the future. We have fellowship with each other. We talk about that idea of living in here at this church. But it's not just that. This idea of communion is that we have fellowship, not just with each other, but because of that common fellowship, we also can have fellowship with Jesus Christ. We, as part of this holy Catholic church who believe in God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as our foundation, can have fellowship and communion with him as well. Where's this in Scripture? This is all over, too. There's a plea throughout the New Testament on how we should continue our fellowship with each other, not to put up division lines. In 1 John 1, it says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. We're proclaiming it so that we understand we're united and can have fellowship with each other. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The next point of affirmation says, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. I affirm the forgiveness of sin. If you're out there with me today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, 
Will you say this with me? I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Say it again. I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Guys, this affirmation is one of the most important affirmations in all of Christianity. You need to hear that. This affirmation is what allows us to have everlasting life and fellowship with God. It's because of this affirmation that we can get past the burdens of this world. It's because of this affirmation that we can have a hope. I want to go back to those questions I asked my coworkers and friends earlier. When we talked about purpose and meaning in life, the one response said that people just accept that we don't know and we just live life doing what we enjoy without much regard for the future. And they said, I guess it's just better to live in ignorance than to actually know. And I thought to myself, I've been struggling with this one. I thought, why would somebody want to live in ignorance and not know about hope? Why would you want to live in ignorance? And I've been thinking about it, and I think it comes back right to this affirmation. They want to live in ignorance because if they don't, they realize that they can't deal with sin. Our world can't forgive sin, and that changes the future for them. Our world can't forgive sin, and so what do you do? You, you ignore it. You cover it up. You hide it. You try to do other things to mask that it's not there. You try to live in ignorance of it because this world can't deal with sin. You know, I've had conversations. I didn't bring this up first service. I should have. I've had conversations with people, and I find in today's context, if you try to ask somebody, hey, how do you deal with sin? It doesn't go over real well, right? Not because you can't ask them how they deal with right or wrong, it's because when you say that word sin, it's like you're offending somebody. You're accusing them of having sin. It's like in today's world, that word sin has a real heavy religious sentiment to it. And so they avoid those conversations. So try this. If you want to find out how people deal with sin and have that conversation, don't ask them how they deal with sin. Ask somebody how they deal with guilt. And if you go out there and you ask somebody how to deal with guilt, sit back and wait for a response. You're going to be waiting a long time because we can't deal with it. We just cover it up. We just try to ignore it. We can't deal with sin because the only thing that, forgive, that gives us forgiveness of sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? The blood of Jesus Christ. And I find it a little bit ironic that in our world today that is driven by money and wealth, cars, homes, materialism, all of these things, that you could take everything this world has, all of the materialism, the wealth, the fame, the success, you take all of it, you put it on a table, you push it to center, you go all in on that, and guess what? It's still not enough to pay for the debt of even one man's sin. Everything this world's got to offer, everything it could put up, it's not enough. Because the only thing that allows us to deal with sin and pay that debt is the blood of Jesus Christ.
Let me ask you guys, when somebody asks you what you believe or what it means to be a Christian, do you tell them about the forgiveness of sin? Do you tell them about the forgiveness of sin? The last two statements of the Apostles' Creed say that I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. These two statements, I said before, the Apostles' Creed has this beautiful order to it, and it does. These two statements at the end are at the end for a reason, and they can only be there because of what's affirmed before it. Once we've affirmed that we believe in who Jesus Christ is, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, we've affirmed what the gospel is. Once we have that foundation, then we can affirm that because of that, we are one holy Catholic church. Once we've affirmed that, we can now talk about the communion that as part of this church we can have with one, each other, one another and with Jesus Christ. Once we've made that affirmation of who God is, who is part of this church that we have communion with Christ, then we get to the part of the forgiveness of sins. That those of us who know Jesus Christ, who are part of that community, can have our sins forgiven because of the blood he shed. And it's only because of that that we can get to these last two things. These two things, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, speak of our hope. This is the hope we have as Christians for a future. Because of who God is, because of what he did in the gospel message, because he's forgiven our sins. As I look back at my friend's responses to the purpose and meaning in life and who God is, it becomes apparent, really clear that those responses are there because they don't have a hope. That's a message we have to offer them, that Jesus Christ allows us to offer them. I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of philosophy. Um, I'm a fan of apologetics, too. Um, they, they tie together well. And there's this argument, this point that's been out there for years, thousands of years, really. And it's about God and his existence. And it, it goes in one of two ways. You may have heard people say, well, God's just a crutch. Or God was actually created by man. The whole idea of God was just something man came up with because man couldn't deal with death. We couldn't deal with the idea of death. And not having anything beyond that. So what we did was we came up with this idea of God, and that gave us hope. But really, God was just an invention of man. And every time I hear that argument, it makes me sad. <laughs> really, it just, it just binds at me and makes me sad. Because, guys, man didn't create God. We didn't come up with God because we couldn't deal with death. God gave us the resurrection because we were supposed to live. Amen? That's our hope. That's our faith. That's the truth that we have, that we believe and should state as Christians. Do you know what you believe, guys? We have a mission as Christians to go out and reach the unreached for Jesus Christ, to share and take that message out to them. We have that mission. But you've got an obligation if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an obligation to know what that means. You have an obligation to know what it means to be a Christian, to know who God is, to know what the gospel is, 
to understand what it means to be part of a unified church, to have communion with other believers. You have an obligation to know why you can confess sins because you're already forgiven. And when you know this, when you believe this, when you understand what you believe and the future hope that that gives us, I'm telling you, you can't help but take that out to the, un, to the unreached. You can't help but take that message. You can't help but wait for somebody to come to you, maybe an alpha, and say, what is this Christianity thing? What do you believe? When you know you've got forgiveness, you've got hope, and you can't wait to share it. I'm telling you guys. If you're out there today and you're like, you know, I don't even know who this Jesus guy is. I don't really know what I believe anymore. I, maybe it's the first time here. I would encourage you, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're just out there searching and seeking, find somebody here and just ask them, what's this all about? What's this whole salvation thing all about? Who is Jesus? Change your life. It'll change your life. Let me close in prayer, guys. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, hearing these things, I can't help but just humble myself and how awesome and wonderful you are. Just hearing these truths, Lord, and, and saying them again and reading them, reading again who you are, Lord. You are so great and wonderful and mighty. And yet, in all of that, you came down and gave your son for us so that we could have forgiveness and we could have hope so thankful for that. Lord, please impress that upon us. Please renew that search in each of us to understand what we believe and why we're Christians, who you truly are to us, Lord. Let that be a joyous burden on our lives from this day moving forward, a burden that, that we enjoy carrying and that we can take out and share with others what it means to be a Christian to follow you. Ask this in your name. Amen.